So last week I shared a little bit about the parable of the talents. We are looking at growth uh, over this next season. And um, I shared last week with the congregation uh, Matthew chapter 25 and reading from verse 14. But uh, I, I just want to quickly recap and just mention a couple of things that I said last week. And I'm going to continue to preach on this uh, subject. Uh, this is a parable of great contrast. It's prob probably one of the most contrasting parables because it has uh, such a sense of uh, encouragement and joy and reward to one of real condemnation and a casting out of the wicked and slothful servant. So a master had decided to go on a trip, and he came to three of his servants, and he said to one, I want to give you five talents, and to another two talents, and to another one talent. This was, this was considerable amounts of money. The NIV uh, actually mentions uh, bags of gold, so that was considerable, and I said it probably in today's terms, in South African terms, it was probably one talent was 300,000 rand. So it was a considerable amount of money that, that you had to work with. And so the contrast was, in, in verse 20 we see, uh, and the one who had received the five talents came and brought uh, his another five talents, saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I have gained five more besides them. I mean, there is just such a sense of, like, I've done this for you, Master. I've done this for you. The one who, did, who was given the two talents did exactly the same. You delivered, and I've delivered back to you. But then the one who had been delivered the one talent said, uh, in verse 25, I was afraid, and I went and I hid my talent in the ground. Look, here is what you have is yours. What I have is yours. And the Lord answered in verse 26 and said to him, You wicked and lazy servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and I gather where I have not scattered seeds. So you ought to have deposited the money in with the bankers. And at my coming, I would have received back my own with interest. Now take the talent from him and give it to the one who has the ten talents. Oh, this is a parable that is jam-packed with biblical truth. And, and, and the first point that I used last week was God uses all of us. God uses all of us, no matter what we have. Despite our frailties, despite our defects, our personality glitches, being disfigured, being obscured, he uses ordinary people. He didn't use the up-and-coming and the famous. He used the disciples. They were from Galilee. They were just ordinary country guys. He uses the badly educated. And those that decided to go and be the, some of the greatest missionaries that the world has ever known have been ordinary people. But all that the Lord needs is a surrendered and consecrated heart to him. The second point was we concentrated on the third servant. I was afraid he concentrated on his fears. And some 
of the most successful people that we've ever known are people that were told that they wouldn't amount to much in life. And when fear dominates your life, you lose your sense of purpose. I've made it through the day without messing up. You remember President Theodore Roosevelt said, he who makes no mistakes makes no progress. And you need to make mistakes. But if we fear our mistakes to such an extent, we will do nothing. And then the third servant made comparisons. He got five. And he got two. And I only got one. At the leaders' meeting on Friday, Ryan, who shared last night at the gathering, spoke to the leaders about two things, self-pity and offense, two things that plague, two things that can be like bombs in a church, two things. And one of the things was self-pity. You know, I, I only got one, shame, poor me. I want you to know that destiny, your purpose in God unfolds little bit by little bit, little bit by little bit. And it'll always be that way, you know, and we can fall into the one talent temptation all the time. I've got so little that I won't give much. But Jesus points out that even a glass, that passage that Charles read out earlier, even a glass of water has its reward. And this servant was severely rebuked because he had this attitude. And we finished off with Isaiah 28 and verse 10, and said, the word of the Lord will be with them, will be to them, precept upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, here a little, there a little. Don't compare yourselves with others who are more talented. Just be faithful with what you've got. You remember when Moses had that encounter at the burning bush, and God said, you're on holy ground. You need to take off your shoes, your sandals. So he took them off, and he had this encounter with, with God. And one of the questions that God said to him was, what have you got in your hand? He didn't say, what don't you have, and I'll give it to you, but what have you got in your hand? And he said, I've got a stick, just a stick. He said, I want to use that. Throw it on the ground. Why? This is my stick. I mean, what does it matter? This is the stick that I defend enemies. He threw it on the ground. And as soon as he threw it on the ground, it turned into a snake. And then God said something that, that, that he needed to be super trusting on. He said, pick the snake up by the tail. Now, you don't pick snakes up by the tail. You try and gun for their head. But he picked it up by the snail and it turned back into a rod. But with that rod, he was able to do and perform huge miracles. Crossing the Red Sea. Bringing the plagues to the Egyptian. Hitting a rock and water coming out of the rock. You see, and it's interesting to see that as soon as it left his hand, as soon as he had surrendered it, as soon as he had consecrated it, as soon as it left his hand, it was never called the rod of Moses. Again, it was always called the rod of God, and Exodus 17 tells us that. What's in your hand? 
What's in your hand tonight, today, to Tzvoim? What's in your hand? What have you got to offer the Lord? So, getting back to the parable, I think that uh, we need to use it or we lose it. Mark, who played the guitar earlier, reminded me of this on Wednesday night. He was saying, I don't know if I'm going to just let my music go and just give it up. And I said, don't. Take whatever you've got and use it. Because if you don't use it, you'll lose it. You see, what happened to the servant was... He just buried it. He didn't even put it into the bank so it could gain interest. He buried it in the ground. And when the master came back, he said, yeah, yeah here's, your, here's your talent. Here's your gold. Here's your whatever money you've got. And the master was fed up with that. But he just gave it back. And he said, take what is his, the one talent, and give it to the one who has the ten talents. He lost it completely. Because to the others... He said, you have been faithful in a little, and I'm going to make you ruler over much. They would continue to be blessed. They would continue to work with the master's money or the master's possessions as well. So, I want to boast a little bit here. I've lost 24 kilos in a period of two and a half years. I just want to buzz by myself. You don't have to clap. <laughs> I, I, needed, I needed to do that because I was, I was diagnosed with sleep apnea and I knew, boy, this would, is going to kill me. Sleep apnea is very, very dangerous. And it's a very insidious disease. It just kind of comes and it creeps in and affects all aspects of your life. So, you know, just I need to clap this thing. I need to clap it hard. I've had cancer. I clap that hard. And now I'm going to clap that apnea. So you have to lose weight. And I'm sleeping better, feeling better, feeling stronger. My joints say, thank you, Richard. <laughs> I do appreciate that. But the reason why I'm telling you this is because I was, I was duck. I was 130 kilos. I made it's a bit a lighty in comparison. <laughs> and I remember going to visit family in Durban, and it's where we, I grew up, going back to Durban, and we met up with an old family friend who saw me when I was 18 and doing my basic training in the police force. <laughs> so I was skinny. So say in Afrikaans, thrust, strong, muscles. <laughs> and she looked at me. What's happened to you, Richard? The Eastern Province accent. You know, the guys from the Eastern Province, they roll their arse. Hey, get into your red drive and drive down the road and get some bread. Welcome back from the Eastern Province. <laughs> What's happened to you, Richard? He says, the Holy Spirit lives inside of us as temples. But you look like a cathedral. 
I got the message. The point that I want to make is, if you don't use it, you're going to lose it. Hmm? We lose. Neglect it, and it'll disappear. Take that talent away from him. And just in terms of basic disciplines, prayer, keep on using it. Keep on being more fruitful. Keep obeying what you're praying. And you'll see the skies open. But if you resist it, those self-same skies will grow dark and dull and bleak. The Word of God, are you pressing into it? Are you grappling with it? Don't just skim over. Chew on it. Write a verse. Put it in your pocket. Take it out several times. Memorize it. Fellowship. Are you fellowshipping? These are all the things that God has given to us. Are you enjoying the fellowship that we have within Joshua Generation Church? Having just come back from visiting family overseas, my mom, mentally she's fine, but there's just been a slow atrophy of her muscles as she gets older and older. She's not used them well. My brother jokingly says, you know, I've never seen a drop of sweat on the old lady. It's now at 88, it's telling. She can hardly move. Don't get to that place. If you're old and you're in your 60s and 70s, keep moving. Keep active. Keep reading. Don't sit in front of that. <laughs> keep going. Keep active. What did, what did the master say? You wicked and lazy. You knew that I reap harvests where I do not plant, and gather crops where I do not scatter seed. Take the money from him. And these servants fascinatingly reflect and reveal their view on God. You see, the language is beautiful in, in terms of the first two servants. You know, well done, good and faithful servant. But they came and said, Master, you gave us, and we're giving it back to you. I mean, their view of the master was fantastic. But the one servant, the one talent servant, actually came and said, yeah, you know, I knew you were a hard man. Not we're grateful for what you gave us initially, but I knew. You were a hard man. And so his view of God is so different. A.W. Tozer was right when he said, what we think about God is the most important thing about, about us. What is your view of God? Why do we serve him? Do we serve him because he's a huge God? He's a wonderful God, that he's a loving God, that he's come and he touched, has touched your life? Oh, this God, I better do something. I better go to church because if I don't go to church then, you know, I'm going to end up in hell in fire. No. This 
This is a parable that reveals our attitude towards God. So I want to say to you this morning, trust Him. Trust Him. The biblical heroes that we read about in the Bible were people that trusted God. Their concept of God was right. What you think about God is the most important thing about us. When Nehemiah was rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem, the Bible says they were in troublesome times. <laughs> I mean, have you ever made a big decision where everything is lacquer? Everything is calm. It's normally, there's stuff out there. Jesus says to his disciples, and he gives the great commission, go out into all the world and make disciples. I mean, that's a great commission. But look at what was going on in the world at that time. What was going on in the world at that time was calamity. It was oppression. There was Roman oppression. There was Roman bullying. The economic times were bad. The, the, the Israel wasn't popular. There was an element that we're, we're resisting Rome. And so there was a lot of kind of inner turmoil in that nation. And Jesus says, in amongst all of this drama, go into the world. There's never going to be a time where everything's hunky-dory and there's enough money in the pocket and we can go. Go out. Ecclesiastes chapter 11 and verse 4 says this, He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. The, it's very interesting. If we look at the wind, oh, it's too windy today. No, let's just keep our seed in. Let's not do it. There's never going to be a time that it's going to, we have to step out in faith. We have to do the necessary stuff. And as leaders, you can't be asking the question, is this safe? As believers, we can't be saying, is this secure? We're going to have to step out in faith. And faith is believing in spite of evidence and obeying in spite of consequence. And that's why the one talent Christian, the one talent man, was severely, severely condemned. Paul despite all that he had to go through, pushed on. was one of the greatest, greatest missionaries, greatest believers of all time. But he pushed on. And he said in 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and verse 9, he said this, For a wide door for effective work has been opened to me. It would be great if it was a full stop. I could do missionary work. But, and there are many adversaries. There are going to be challenges that are going to come your way. Trust God for the future. The scriptures are clear. Whatever is not of trust, whatever is not of faith, is sin. If I had to say to you, please spell faith for me. Most of you would say F-A-I-T-H. But I want to say something different. I want to say faith is spelt R-I-S-K. Risk. That's what faith is. Because every time you step in faith, you risk either gaining something or losing something valuable. 
you have the possibility of making huge gain or making a loss, experiencing damage, injury, or liability. Whatever action has the possibility of both taking place, of either taking place. Many of the things that you decide in life, growing up, going to university, choosing a profession, choosing your life's partner, having children, getting a new job, they are risks. And if I see the heroes of the Christian faith who did great things for God, they were all risk takers. Noah, I mean, can you imagine 7,000 odd years ago, building the kind of structure, yes, it was God-given, the structure, blueprint, but to build that huge thing, I mean, the people must have thought Noah was crazy. But he built it. Abraham. He left. He was secure. He was wealthy. He left Ur of Chaldeas and went to a land that he didn't know anything about. Moses. He led the people out of Egypt. A risk. Joshua. Led the people across the Jordan River into the promised land. David, who went out and confronted Goliath. Elijah, confronting the prophets of Baal. Daniel, who refused to eat the king's food so he would not defile himself. The challenge of that risk. Nehemiah, rebuilding the walls of, of, of Jerusalem. You see, these people were not people of status quo. They were people who were taking risks. And possibly one of the biggest risk takers was Peter when he saw in the midst of a storm in the boat with the other 11 disciples, he saw as they were crossing the Galilean Sea a ghost. Is that Jesus? Hey, who's that? I think it's Jesus. Can't be because he's in the water and he's walking on the water. Peter says, Jesus, if it's you, bid me come. And Jesus responds and says, come. It's very interesting. People say Peter walked on the water. I think Peter walked on the word. Come. And he walked on the word. Got out of his security and started walking on the water. I mean, can you imagine? Never done this before. In the midst of a storm, there's 22 other eyes looking at me, thinking, what are you doing, Peter? You are now revealing your true colors. You are really stupid. You see, that was Peter's gift to Jesus, that he got out of the boat and walked towards him. Jesus' gift to Peter was that he allowed him to walk on the water. Peter got out of the boat. He had to take that first step. He was the only one out of all the 12 that took the risk and walked on water. What risk are you making with your talents? You see, we get a lot of intellectual stimuli. But that understanding of Bible, of church, needs to be converted into taking a step. What step are you going to take?
this next week. You see, the people of Israel knew that Moses was getting to the end, and he died. But they had received word upon word, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened or dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. But it's only when Moses died, who's going to lead us now? When they crossed the river Jordan, the Lord said to them, they're in the wilderness, they've come through 40 years, here's the Jordan River. The Lord says, I want you priests carrying the ark, I want you to put your feet into the water before the water starts to divide. That's faith. That's faith. What are you going to do with your spiritual gift? So that you may experience the joy of the Lord. That you may experience the encouragement of the Lord. What are you going to do with your spiritual gift? How about speaking to somebody this next week about the Lord? Somebody at work or somebody just passing by along the street. Just take the opportunity just to share your faith with that person. How about singing prophetically? I thought... What, what Monet did this morning was a huge step of faith, huge step of faith for him. I don't know if he's ever done that before. Where, where's Monet? Have you done that before? No, no. But I mean, that's, I, I, people responded. To come forward and to take the mic and to sing prophetically for the first time, it's a huge, huge step of faith. We're going to have to do it. And if you're going to step out in faith, hopefully the Lord helps us to walk on water. I was listening to a, a pastor who was on an airplane. He doesn't particularly like talking to people on an airplane, but this person started talking to him. It was a lady and she said to him, what do you do? So he thought, I'm going to have some fun. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to share with her what I do. So he said back to her, well, I'm in the body changing business, especially the personality changing business. Oh, where, where are your offices? In which city do you serve? Well, we, we have offices everywhere. We have offices in every city, village in this nation, uh, in, in, in most parts of the world. Uh, we, we've, we've offices everywhere. She had this puzzled look, and uh, she was trying to figure out which news channel, which business magazine she possibly could have missed this. He said, as a matter of fact, our our business has gone international. And our plan is that we will have at least one office in every country, in every city at the end of the business era. How does that work? Oh, it's a family concern. There is a father and a son who run everything. And capital? You mean money. 
Uh, we never worry about money because there's never a shortage. And your employees, oh, they are amazing because there is a wonderful spirit that exists in every one of them. And they all are discovering that they love one another and care for one another hugely. And what are the benefits of this? Oh, the benefits are substantial. Our benefits are absolutely, totally complete, and especially against fire. And as we go into the future, we have holdings, and there is going to be a mansion for retirement. Do you want to hear about this business? What a wonderful opening to start telling them about the Lord Jesus Christ. Huh? There are these differences that are taking place. Two servants wanted to make a profit, and the other one wanted to make a loss. Two servants, servants wanted to work hard and to risk, the other did not want to risk. Two wanted to advance the master's kingdom domain, the other had no interest in doing that. One wanted to invest, or two wanted to invest, and the other didn't want to invest and wanted to waste. One saw, or two saw the blessing, and one saw a, a burden. Two knew the master, one had no clue who the master was. What are you going to do with your talents? 